Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, so uh, Psalms, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 17. Um, as a pastor, uh, whenever people have a question about God, uh, about the Bible, uh, they typically ask me. And I have a lot of people that ask me on Facebook. They'll, they'll private message me. Uh, hey, I, was, I heard some pastor say this. What do you think about that? I heard some, some uh, person talk about the Bible this. Or they send me some random TikTok that uh, talks about Scripture. And uh, I've never seen a biblically accurate TikTok sent to me. I'm sure they're out there. I've never seen one. Uh, and they're like, hey, what do you think about this? Or hey, what, what does the Bible say about this? And people ask me about God, which is, which is great. Because it gives me an opportunity to, to talk about Christ, to talk about God, to present the gospel, and to answer some questions that people have. And I've, heard, I've had a lot of good questions. You know, when we've, a lot of us have probably heard these questions. You know, if God is good and loving, why is there evil in the world? You know, if God loves us, then why do we suffer? And those are, are questions people have, especially when they're going through difficult times. And, you know, it's... it's it's easy to answer, but it also it's an opportunity to talk about free will, talk about our sin nature, talk about our need for a savior, and it's really an opportunity to give the gospel. Another one, you know, uh, good questions I've had: where do where do babies go when they die? And we know through Scripture, you know, David when his son died, he says, "I he can never come to me, but I'll go to him one day." So we know that babies uh, go to heaven when they die, and so that's a, a hope. That we have. I've heard another one, you know, uh, do dogs go to heaven? Yes, they do. So how can you prove that scripturally? You know, God backwards is dog. That's proof right there. A lot of times these songs about God, you can replace dog. You know, God, you've been faithful. Dog, you've been faithful. Dogs are faithful. They're loving. They love us unconditionally. They die for us. So dogs are really, you know, just like God. So dogs go to heaven. Cats go to hell. I uh, hate to tell you that uh, if you're a cat lover, but the Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion. Lions are cats. Cats go to hell. That's biblical proof right there. Uh, but, you know, dogs go to heaven. Yeah, they do. Uh, but I've also heard some, some weird ones. You know, how did Mary potty train Jesus? I don't know. You know, what, what did she do when he got a fever? Did he ever get a fever? Did Jesus ever stump his toe as a toddler and bleed? Or, or you know, just some, some silly things like, I, do, I don't know, I can't answer uh, those questions. I had one, uh, this was a kid that asked me that. If, G, if God sees everything and God's always watching, does that mean God watches me when I'm in the bathroom? Like, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. He can, I don't think he does. Uh, but it's like, I don't really know how to answer this. So we've, we get some weird questions. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in a similar situation. He's in a new city. Uh, he's in Thessalonica. And he is uh, in Berea. And so he's preaching the gospel. And people begin to ask him about God. They begin to ask questions about this God that he is worshiping because, of course, he's an apostle. So they figured anyone that knew about God, Paul would be the one to know about them. And he would be able to make answer better than anyone else. And so when we look at this, we got to ask ourselves, how would you handle that situation? How would you handle if a, a co-worker or a neighbor or a friend or even a relative asks you about God. 
ask you why, do you, why do you go to church on Sunday morning when you could sleep in and, you know, enjoy the day? People ask me that, and I'm like, I don't really know, honestly, with you. Uh, it's just what the Bible says. Or, you know, why do you give uh, 10% of your income to the church? Why do, you, why do you live this way? Why do you act this way? Why do you do these things? Or what about, what, what is this Jesus person you, you, th- you, you talk about? Because here's the thing. We, of course, we live in Roanoke. It's considered the Bible Belt. And so we tend to think everyone around us knows about God. That's not true. There are a lot of people in our community who maybe have heard about Jesus but really don't know anything about him. They don't know anything about his life, his death, his resurrection, what it means, what he did it for. So someone comes to you and asks you about God, how are you going to engage them? How are you going to answer their questions? You're just going to say, well, call my pastor. He'll answer your questions. I will, but don't do that. You know, you got to be able to answer them yourself. And so that's what Paul teaches us in Acts chapter 17. So look at verse number 16. Paul, of course, now he's in Athens in chapter uh, 17, verse 16. It says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Uh, Athens at this time was considered the intellectual capital uh, of the world. It was uh, where all the theologians would go, all the philosophers would go. They would go to this one place, and we're going to see that in a minute, and they would debate the issues. They would talk about the issues and kind of really uh, learn things. And so it was considered a very intellectual city. It was also the center for art and athletics. At this time, uh, Athens had the largest sports arena in the world. This was the site of the first Olympic Games. And it was also a very extremely religious city. It was not Christian. They were not God followers, but they were very spiritual. They were very religious. This, the city of Athens housed temples and idols to every god known in the ancient world. There was a city about Athens. The saying was, it's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. Now let's look at verse number seven, uh, chapter 17. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler say? Others, some, uh, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, whenever Paul went to a new city, the first people he would talk to about the gospel were the Jews. He would go to the synagogue, he would go to the temple, he would go to wherever the Jews gathered, and he would talk to them about Jesus. He would use the scripture, the Bible, to teach them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And then he would go to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace at this time, uh, it, was, it wasn't just where you went to buy groceries or pots and pans or things like that. It was the cultural center of the city. Whatever city you're in, it was the hub where everyone would, yes, they would go buy their their food, and yes, they would go buy spices and and odds and ends and things like that, 
but it was also just where people went to to discuss matters, to hang out. And so everyone was in the marketplace. So Paul would go to a place. He would start with the Jews. He would preach the gospel to them using the Bible to show them how Jesus was the Messiah. Then he would go to the marketplace and begin preaching Christ there to anyone who would listen. And so he's, he's preaching this, and two groups of people hear him, the Stoics and the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans were, were hedonists. They believed that pursuing pleasure was the most important thing you could do in life. And it didn't matter who you hurt or who you damaged along the way. The greatest pursuit in life was to have as much pleasure as you possibly could. You'd get as much money as you could, have as much uh, sex as you could with as many women or men as you could. Whatever you wanted to do, do it. If it made you happy, do it. Uh, and so to them, pleasure was the most important thing in the world. They believed that gods were composed of atoms, and they were so small that they would fit between the space of the world, but they really believed that the gods didn't care about what we did. The gods had created us, some created the earth, some created the air, some created the water, but the, the gods had worked together to create the earth and to create mankind, and gave man the, the option to have as much pleasure as, it want, as they wanted to and didn't care about what we did. They were absent in anything involving man. Uh, so they figured they, did, they could do anything they wanted to. The Stoics were pantheists. They believed that God was in everything. God's in the sun. God's in the trees. God's in the earth. God's in the flowers. God's in the animals. It's very similar to Hinduism of uh, today. They were all about self-control. The, the ideal person, in their opinion, was someone who never got upset. Can you, any of y'all say, I've never been upset? Of course not. We've all been upset. The ideal person never experienced pain. The ideal person uh, never allowed their, their emotions to control them. And so pleasure didn't entice them. So you've got these two vastly different groups of people Listening to Paul, you've got these people who are all about pleasure, and these people who are like, pleasure is the last thing we should pursue. We should try to be a, a good, moral, upright, self-controlled person. And so they, they hear Paul, and they say, hey, this guy's a babbler. Now, that was an insult. Uh, it was a derogatory term. It literally meant a bird that would pick up seeds and then spit it out without eating them. But when you were talking about someone, a person being a babbler, it was someone who would ramble on about things that they heard from other people, but they didn't know a lot about themselves. You know, I know somebody like that. Somebody who just, they, they recite what they hear from other people. A YouTube, a YouTuber told me this. I saw this on TikTok. I saw this on Facebook. And so it's got to be true. And they don't really know anything about it. Our world is full of these types of people. Uh, I have one of them living in my house. He's my 14-year-old son, who if it's on YouTube, it's true. And he just recites it. Oh, I heard this on YouTube, so it's got to be true, Dad. No, look into it a little deeper yourself. And so they're really, they're insulting Paul. But other people, they say, well, he's not a babbler. He's trying to teach us about a new God that we had never heard of. And, and he was. Paul's purpose in the marketplace 
preaching the gospel was to teach these people who had never heard about Christ, was to teach them about Jesus and what it truly meant to follow him. And so that is where Paul is trying to steer the conversation as he talks to these people. Look at verse number 19. <clears throat> and they took him and brought him to the Agabus, uh, and saying, we know what this, uh, may we know what this new doctrine is, uh, that thou speakest of. So the, the Agabus was a place where the intellectuals would meet to discuss matters of the day. They would debate philosophy. They would debate morality. They would debate these different, these con uh, contrasting views. It was also where people were put on trial uh, for crimes that they had committed, moral crimes in the city. Now they bring Paul there, uh, not to punish him or not to put him on trial, but they're like, we've got to get him to the intellectuals of the city, the philosophers of the city, and let him teach them about this God that he speaks about. Now, the reason for this is they were constantly on the lookout for new gods. They didn't want to miss out on worshiping any one God. So they're like, here's a new God this guy's talking about. We have to learn about this new God. So he'll come here and he'll, he'll teach it. Uh, so then, now they, they weren't looking to learn about Jesus to be converted, but they wanted to add him to their list of gods that they had already worshipped. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> then Paul stood in the midst of Mars hills and said, Ye men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, calling them superstitious, uh, to us, it's, it's a very negative connotation. You know, someone who's superstitious, who, you know, you got to knock on wood when you say something, you got to throw salt over your shoulder or carry around a lucky rabbit's foot, which I never understood because it's not very lucky for the rabbit. Uh, but it's lucky for you. Uh, or, you know, the people got these, all these superstitions, people who, who follow horoscopes and who call psychics. And, you know, we think, man, they're too superstitious. So it could be a negative meaning, but in this time it could also be a positive meaning. In the Greek, it could literally mean that they reverence God, that they are spiritually minded and they are seeking morality. That's a, a good thing to be. But it could also mean that they're just chasing after any God to help them out. Now, Paul probably meant it both ways. He's like, hey, you, you're searching for the truth about God, and that is good. It is good that you are yearning for the truth, and you are searching for the truth, but you're, you're finding it in all the wrong places and chasing after all the wrong things. And so that's what he's talking about them. Now look at verse number 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So they, again, in Athens they had these temples to every God that they knew about. When they learned about a new God, they would build him a temple, they would build him an idol. And just to make sure they didn't miss out on one, they built a temple to an unknown God. Just whatever God's out there that we haven't heard about, we haven't learned about, we're going to worship him just to make sure we have all of our bases uh, covered. And so they worshiped this unknown God uh, and the, because they didn't want to anger him. And so around the, the Parthenon, uh, there were images uh, in, in Athens, there were images of a man struggling. Now, to the Athenians, it, it represented the, the struggle to figure life out. The struggle to, to achieve happiness and peace and joy. To Paul, he saw this as a struggle to find God. So he, he starts witnessing to them with their questions. And again, this is different how we typically worship, the, how we typically witness to people. Uh, look back at verse number two. 
of chapter 17. Uh, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. So with the Jews, Paul would always use the Bible. He would always open up the Bible and he would show them from Scripture how Jesus fulfilled the promise of God. How Jesus was the promised Messiah. How he came and lived a perfect life and died for their sins to absorb the wrath of God for them. Was buried and rose again three days later to prove he was God. So with, with the Jews, he always used the Bible. But these people don't know the Bible. These Athenians don't understand Scripture. They don't believe that the Bible is, is the, the Word of God. So he's got to start with their questions in general and just kind of begin where he can. So look at verse number 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So he, he starts with their, the logical problems with their approach to God. You know, he goes, it doesn't make sense that you believe God or gods created everything, created the heavens and the earth and man, and if they have the power and ability to do that, why do you got to build them a temple and why do you got to feed them? Because they would, they would have these things that would go into the God, the temples, and they would leave food for the gods to take care of the gods. If, if, if your God is powerful enough to create everything... Why is he so weak that he, he can't go out and get his own food that you have to provide for him? Look at verse number 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel uh, after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. So he's doing two things here in this argument. First thing he's doing is he's telling them that the, the real God isn't some tribal deity who only has control over one area of life. There is no wind God and sun God and water God and agricultural God. That there is no, you know, gods don't have certain control over certain aspects. That the true God has control over everything. The true God created everything and controlled everything. He is the creator of the whole earth and man. The second thing he's doing is he is telling them that the greatest pursuit you can have is not the pursuit of wealth, it's not the pursuit of pleasure, it's not the pursuit of things. The greatest thing that a man can do is pursue a relationship with the true living God. See, to the Greeks and the Romans... Gods were always a means to something. They had a God that if they worshipped that God, it would give them certain things in certain areas. Artemis, he was the, was the goddess of prosperity and money. So if you wanted to be prosperous, if you wanted money, you would go worship and make offerings and sacrifices to Artemis. Athena was the goddess of wisdom and politics. So if you wanted wisdom or if you wanted to be successful in politics, you would worship Athena and she would, would give you the success you needed in that area. 
Nike, yes, Nike was a god, was the, uh, the god of victory. He was worshipped by warriors and athletes. And if you wanted strength and you wanted victory on the battlefield or victory in the sports arena, you would worship Nike. Made you run faster and stronger. Aphrodite was the uh, goddess of sex and beauty and fertility. So if you wanted uh, children, if you wanted to be considered beautiful, you would worship Aphrodite. Uh, Clo- uh, i got to pronounce this one. Cloachina was the goddess of the sewer system. No kidding. I don't know how you worshipped her. I don't know what you did to make an offering or what she offered you when you worshipped the god of the sewer system, but that's what they did. And so all gods were means to something. They were a means to prosperity a means to wealth, a means to power, a means to, to beauty, a means to love, a means to a clean toilet and a flushing system. I guess that's what you worship that last God for. But he is saying the real God is so glorious, the true God is so magnificent that he is his own reward. He's saying you don't seek God as a means to get something else. When you seek God, he is a true reward. He is what you are meant to pursue. Not to get stuff, but just to get him. Look at verse number 28. (laughs) For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Now, so these are actually two quotes, not from Scripture, but he gives two quotes from the culture. The first quote he gives is a, a, a quote about the god Zeus. The second thing he does is he, he gives a quote from a, a Greek poet uh, named Artatus. And this was well known by everyone. And so everyone, when he quotes these two culturally significant poems, everyone knows what he's talking about. So Paul, he knows the culture enough that he can show them that they are asking the right questions, but they're looking for the answers in the wrong place. And look at verse number 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art in man's device. So we go to as God's the creator, it's foolish to think that we can reduce him down to something we can hold. It's foolish to think we can reduce him down to some idol that we can keep in our hands. Then he gets to the gospel. Look at verse number 30. And the times of his ignorance, uh, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world and righteousness by that man whom the earth hath ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, the phrase winked at uh, means that God left man to their own idolatry. He has left man to their own devices and to make their own errors. But he says, but now God has come as Christ, as Jesus, as God in the flesh, and he's given proof that he is the one true God by the fact that he has raised him from the dead, and that Paul is, and so that we need to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And so what Paul is doing here is he is giving us a pattern that we are to follow when we are witnessing to the unsaved world. When we are witnessing to people who don't know a lot about God. And here's the first thing he tells us to do. Number one, Paul says, be provoked by the culture. Be provoked 
by the culture. Way back in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city given to idolatry. Paul, he saw the culture of idolatry. He saw the temples. He saw the impressive structures and the, the feats of engineering that they had accomplished. But it didn't intimidate him. They didn't in, in, uh, entice him. They didn't seduce him to find out what they were doing right. They provoked him to give the truth to the lost and dying world. They provoked him to do something. Now look, we can look at our culture and we can see our culture is a very idolatrous culture. And when we see the idolatry, when we see the, the hypocrisy of our, of our culture, of how, what, the, this place we live, what does it do to us? Does it provoke us to get the gospel to them more? Does it cause us to say, you know what, they're too far gone, and there's nothing we can do, and, and walk away from them? Tim Keller said, look at whatever building in your city is the biggest. Those usually indicate the idols. So what is Roanoke known for? Well, Wells Fargo is the tallest building in Southwest Virginia. It's a bank building. So it, it symbolizes wealth and money and prosperity and security. What about the Berglund Center? The Berglund Center is the largest uh, gathering place in Southwest Virginia. And that's where they hold concerts and basketball games and hockey games and all kinds of plays and things like that. So entertainment may be our idol. What about the star? You know, the Roanoke Star is the largest neon star in the world. I don't know why. I had no idea what that represented. I know we're the star city of the south. I don't know where we came up with that. I don't know who gave us that. So the star represents neon, fun. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but we, we look at these things and what do they represent to us? They represent money or entertainment or fun. And it's, it's okay to be impressed by those things. And, but we should also grieve that oftentimes in our culture, those things receive more glory than God does. When we watch the Oscars or the Academy Awards, what do we feel? Admiration for the, the actors and directors and special effects people? Or are we heartbroken because this is what these people are worshiping and this is what the world is pursuing? Wealth and popularity and fame. If we are not provoked by the idolatry, by the sensuality of our world, then you are probably living a worldly life. But we can also go to the other extreme, where we see the idolatry of the world. We see the sinfulness of the world, and we say, you know what, they've, they've got, they're too far gone. There's nothing we can do for them. Paul didn't run for the people of Athens. He ran toward them in compassion with the truth. We need to be a people who are aware of the culture, who are able to talk about the culture, but also remain untainted by the culture. Jesus said in John 17, He goes, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are not to, once we get saved, we're not to pull apart from the culture and set up little communes and put, put a, a big wall around this church property and say, we're only gonna, we're gonna stay here and be untainted by the world and not let, not let the world in. We're not to be, to be separate from the world. We are to live as a part of the world, but be untainted by the world. We are to live untainted by it. Know the culture. Pay attention to the culture. Paul was upset by the idolatry of the culture because he had spent time in it. You know, most of us are upset by the direction that our culture is going. We get upset about the laws that are passed. We get upset about how, how the world does certain things and how they act certain ways and the Democrats are ruining everything. And we get upset about these things. But the thing is, we're not listening to what the people are actually saying. You know why our culture, why our society struggles with drug addiction so much? Because they just don't care. They're trying. No, they're crying out to God. They're crying out, they're looking for something, and they're finding their, what they think is fulfillment in drugs and sex and alcohol, and it doesn't fulfill them, so they have to get worse and worse and worse until they ruin their life. And the thing is, they're just saying, hey, I need something greater than myself. And here we are with the answer, and we don't want to deal with them. Because they got themselves in that mess, they can get themselves out. We need to... Pay attention to the culture. Second thing Paul says to do is to find common ground. The heart of man, by nature, is religious. We were made to worship. It's the primary drive of humanity, but because of sin, we have taken our worship and taken it away from God and we put it on other things. But the desire to worship God is in the heart of every person. Everyone is searching for meaning in life. And look, we all put value on things that we live for, and we, we search for those things, and when we're, when we're look, talking to the unsaved world, who their values are vastly different than ours, we don't bash them and say, oh, you're wrong on this, and you're stupid because you believe that, and you're ignorant because you believe that. Affirm that, hey, you're, you, you're searching for something, which is great. Affirm their, their value where we can. For instance, atheists typically have a passion for the truth. You know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's a famous atheist, uh, uh, the guy in the wheelchair. Uh, oh, man, Hawking, Stephen Hawking, very famous atheist. You know what? They, you know what, they're, they're, he's dead, but there in his life, he was searching for truth. How did the universe begin? How does everything tie together? How does everything work to, to, to create this, this life that we have? And where does everything go? Same thing with the grass Tyson. Where does the, how did the earth begin? How did the universe begin? Where does it all come from? They are searching for truth, which is a good thing. They're just looking for it in the wrong place. And so it's our job as believers to show them where truth can be found. You know, non-religious parents, parents who they're, they're, they don't take their kids to church, they don't believe in God, they don't teach, they want to raise good kids. I've never met a parent 
who didn't believe in God or didn't believe that church was important, who thought, I'm just going to raise kids who are terrors on society, and I hope they grow up to be serial killers, and the worst people, they want to raise good kids. And they're trying their best to raise good kids the way they know how. They just don't have the truth that we have, that the only way to truly raise, and look, raising your kids in church is no guarantee your kids are going to turn out great. They may turn out terrible. They may run away from God. And look, you can't help that. Once they become adults, it's on them. But you can raise them right, and you can teach them right, and you can try to instill in them values, and they go wrong. But look, we know the only way to truly raise God-fearing children and children that are really truly successful in life, not monetarily, but the way they're successful in their marriage is to have them have a relationship with God, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. You know, people with different political viewpoints from us, they're, they're not bad people. They're compassionate people. Look, several weeks ago, the Roe v. Wade decision was overturned. And so, once again, it sparked huge debate between pro-choice and pro-life advocates. And here's the thing. Pro-choice, people who are pro-choice, they don't want to kill babies. I didn't, oh, yes, they do. No, they don't. And calling them a baby killer is probably the last way to reach them with the gospel. They are not in it to kill kids. Their desire is to protect women. To give women who are in sometimes very tragic, difficult situations. They want to have compassion for that. Look, here's the thing. We have compassion for those women too. We should. If you don't, if you're like, well, they got themselves in that mess, they... You need to get right with Jesus or check your own salvation. But we need to look at this man. We have compassion on those women. It's terrible what they're going through. And we want to help them. We just want to help them in a different way. So we can find common ground by saying, yeah, we need to help those women. You have a way to do it. I have a way to do it. And let's, let's talk about how we can come together. So we don't look at people and say, oh, they're different from us. Forget them. Look where you can agree with people. We have compassion for them, but we have a better answer. See, everyone wants the brokenness of the world to be healed. And that's where we can agree. We can agree our world is hurting. We are divided. We are, our, 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 our infighting is, is destroying our culture. We can agree that there's, there's homelessness that needs to be dealt with. There's drug abuse and drug addiction that needs to be dealt with. There's alcoholism. There's, there's premarital and, and, and there's unwanted pregnancies. All these things have to be dealt with. We agree with them on that. We just agree differently how to do it. But we can come together and say, hey, we both want to fix the world. Now we're going to get to how we can talk about how it's differently. Not only do we find common ground, number three, and here's the thing, show them, Connor, show them their shortcomings, not their personal shortcomings. Don't attack them personally. Don't be like, oh, well, you're stupid, or you're short, or you're... don't attack their personal shortcomings. The shortcomings of their answers to the world's problem. So before showing them that Christ is the answer... We need to show them that what they're currently doing isn't working. What they're currently doing isn't fixing everything. Does their current idol work for them in the long run? Does money and health and relationships, if that's their idols, 
Do they give them happiness and joy and security in the long run? You know, what if your idol is money? So you put all your, your extra money in the stock market, or now, I guess, cryptocurrency. You know, if you would have bought cryptocurrency years ago when it was pretty cheap, you know, a few months ago, you'd have been riding high. But then, it, of course, it, it goes up and down. So if your money's all up in cryptocurrency, what do you do when the, when the market crashes? If your security's in your job, what do you do when your job, your company downsizes and ships your job overseas and you're, un, you're unemployed? What if your security, your idol is your health? And you eat right. You eat, you know, kale salad. And you go vegan. And you, I feel bad for vegans. But you go vegan. And you're eating healthy. And you're eating, you know, soy milk. And, and you know, whey protein and all this stuff. And you're doing everything right. What do you do when you're crossing the street and get hit by a bus? Kale salad ain't helping you then. What if your idol's a relationship? What do you do when that person leaves or dies? They don't offer security in the long run, you know, Zac Efron, you know, most of y'all know who Zac Efron is. He did an interview in 2014 about why he had to check into an alcohol-related rehab facility. He said, I had done films back to back to back to back. I was burnt out. There was something lacking, some sort of hole that I couldn't really fill up. I was just so deep into my work. It was really the only thing I had. I mean, you're in your 20s, you're single, you're going through life in Hollywood, you know, you have everything, but you're still lacking something. I can honestly say to Zac Efron, no, I don't know. He had everything that the world thinks makes you successful. He had fame, he had money, he had popularity, he had everything going for him. But he said, I was still lacking something. Now, we know what he was lacking. He was lacking a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we, we have to ask them, is their God worth what they are sacrificing to get? If your God is money, is it worth sacrificing your relationship with your family to get it? People were concerned, you know, people who aren't saved, they are concerned with the suffering of the world. And they have great ideals, but they're trying to fix it without the gospel. You know, we see the suffering of the homeless. And the lost world sees the suffering too, and they want to help. They want to give them food. They want to give them clothes. And those are great things to give them. And we do that. We have our community cupboard. We have our, our, our Samaritan closet where we, we feed and we clothe people who are less fortunate, which is great. But you know what else we give them? We give them the gospel. We show them the love of Christ and we teach them the love of Christ. Because, look, getting saved is not going to make them magically have a home and be perfectly happy. But it is going to give them a home in heaven one day. That's the most important thing. So yeah, we should try to fix our prison system. But you know what else we should do while we're trying to fix it? Give them the gospel. We should try to reform our education system. But while we're reforming our education system, we try to get the gospel in there because that's the only thing that's going to help. Education and money, if they were able to cure the problems of the world, the world would be fine. Because the world's got a lot of education, got a lot of money, also got a lot of problems. The world doesn't need more education, doesn't need more money, it needs more Christ. You know, some people, showing in the shortcomings, some people think that all roads lead to God. That if you're just a good person, living a moral life, then eventually you'll find your way in heaven. And it is a wonderful thought. 
It's a great thing to say, man, if, you're just, if you just live a good life, then you'll end up in heaven one day. But that's not, that's not true, because if you believe that, then that means that all moral values are the same. All are moral values the same? Of course not. There's this one guy, Peter Singer. He believes that society would be better off if we euthanized disabled children before the age of two and elderly people after the age of 70. How many of y'all are older than 70? Y'all think that's a good moral value? That we ought to just shoot all the old people? Of course not. That's not a good moral value. So, you know, killing those people with birth defects and euthanizing the old people, that's, a, that's not a moral value that is just as good as others. It shouldn't be legal if we're valuing all human life. Some people believe that society is better when women are uneducated, barefoot, and pregnant in the home. That's all women are good for. Now, that's not, a, that's not the same moral value as believing women have equal rights and have value in the sight of God and value in the community and value in the kingdom of God, just like men do. You know, atheists think you could be moral without God. But if you don't have God, who decides what is right and wrong? Mankind, by nature, is religious. They are asking the right questions but they're getting the wrong answers from the wrong place. Jesus is the only answer. So meet them where they are, listen to their beliefs, and show them where they're lacking. Fourth thing to do, show them God's greatness. We're almost done. Show them God's greatness. At the core of Paul's message was the true God is bigger and better than anything their idols could contain. All the false religions have a shrunk-down view of God. They have reduced God to a size that they can explain. Reduced God to a size that they can manipulate and they can use to get in what they want in life. And here's the thing. The real God is so large, is so infinite, is so glorious, that he's unexplainable. There are things about God I still do not understand. And I probably will never understand this side of heaven. Because his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. They are higher than mine. And so there are things about God that I can, I can never understand, but I can just sit in awe and worship him because of his greatness. God is unexplainable. So it leaves us with questions that we can't answer. But because of his glory, things about him, his plan that we will not understand through our finite minds. Evelyn Underhill said if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. The real God cannot be fully understood, cannot be fully comprehended, he is, because he is more than just a means to an end. He is more than just a way to have a better family or to be successful. God is better than all those things. He is the true, true reward. Then the fifth thing Paul does, after he meets them where they're at and explains where they're, where, they're fault, where they're wrong, number five, he brings them to the gospel. Connor, he brings them to the gospel. This is where Paul was going the entire time. The greatness of God on display. See, the gospel is not an explanation. The gospel is an announcement. 
that Jesus is God in the flesh. He was sent to die in our place, to take our sin, to save us from death, hell, and the grave. And he rose to redeem us and reconcile us to the Father and prove he was who he said he was. Prove that he was God through the resurrection. The most important question Jesus ever asked while he was on earth was, who do you say I am? Not who, what do they say about me? Who do you say that I am? See, religion and philosophy, they ask who is right. The gospel says Jesus is God in the flesh and he is always right. Religion, philosophy ask what is true. The gospel declares the grave is empty and he is risen. Religion and philosophy ask what does God want from us? The gospel says look what God did for us. Religion and philosophy ask, what do I have to do to gain acceptance from God? The gospel says, God sacrificed himself so we can be accepted through his finished work. Christianity doesn't explain how things work better when we follow Christ. It declares that Jesus is who he said he was. It declares he died for us and that he rose again. It reveals the truth of salvation. Paul tells them what Jesus did for them so they don't have to do it. Then let's look at verse 32. Chapter 32, I'm sorry. No, verse 32. Forgive me, it's getting warm. <coughs> Chapter 17, verse 32. And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among them was Dicemus and the Argamite and a woman named Darmus and other with them. So there were three reactions to the message Paul gave. And here are three reactions that most of us are going to get if we spend time witnessing and talking to people in a good Christ-honoring way about the gospel. Some people are going to mock. <coughs> Some people are going to mock your beliefs. You can't believe you believe such foolish things, which always baffles me, especially when I talk to people who uh, are really trying to, trying to think scientifically. I'm like, oh, well, the Big Bang created everything, and, you know, billions and billions of years ago, there was just a cloud of, of garbage, and something sparked it, and it blew up, and after billions and billions of years, it kind of all cooled down, and that's how we got everything. And I'm like, you believe that over the fact that an all-powerful God just said, let there be everything? That, to me, that is more unplausible then we just got super, okay, there's a great cloud of crap out there in the universe billions of years ago, and something sparked it in the blue. What sparked it? Who struck a match to get it going? It was just all out there, and it just so happened to cool enough to create it. Just, to me, it, it boggles my mind. But there are a lot of people who, science is their God, and they're going to believe that till the day they die. They're going to mock, and they can't believe. But look, that doesn't stop me from trying to witness to them. So there are going to be some that mocked. Some that thought about it and said, look, you know what, we're not sure. Let's talk about this a little bit more. And then there were those who joined him and later believed. Here's the thing. In this story, no one believed right away. No one gets saved this day. This isn't a Pentecost where 3,000 people get saved. This isn't a few days after Pentecost where 5,000 men get saved. This isn't a, a day where a great number got saved. But some of them said, you know what, I'm not 100% I'm not sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep learning from you, Paul. I'm going to keep listening to you, Paul. And they listened to him, 
and they joined him in his, in his discussions, and eventually they believed. They continued to learn and believe. Look, sometimes when you're witnessing to people, sometimes you're going to come across a Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? But they're rare. Most of the time, a win is getting someone to come to church and say, you know what, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come to your Bible study. I'll, come, I'll talk to you about Jesus a little bit more. Not every, some of them are going to mock you. But some of them may say, you know what, I'll, I'll listen to you. Sometimes a win is just getting them to come and listen to the Word of God, to study the Bible with you so they can believe. Here's the thing. We, in our culture, we are surrounded by idols. We are living in a very wicked, idolatrous society. Does it provoke us to share the truth? Does it, do we, we should love people so much that we don't leave them to their idols. We have to speak of God's glory. Look, God saw us, Jesus saw us in our idolatry, and he was provoked to do something about us, about it. He didn't condemn us, he ran to us. He showed us the insufficiency of our answers without him. He revealed God to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to do that with others. Meet them where they are and teach them about Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.